Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 138, You Don't Owe Anyone with Carolyn McGraw. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. I have a great conversation for you today. Uh, It's with Carolyn McGraw, who is the author of the brand new book, You Don't Owe Anyone. And I know Carolyn from being on some of her summits and we, we are kind of professional friends and I've loved getting to know her more over the years. And when she sent me her book, um, it looked so good. <laughs> and I had no idea how I was going to find time to read it. Really what I mean by that is how I was going to stay awake past 9.30 because that's usually when I read and I end up falling asleep. And somehow this book, it was it was so good. I couldn't wait to read it. Now it still took me a little while, but it was really one of those books that like I could read a chapter or two and I would fall asleep, but I would wake up the next day like, oh, I, I wonder if I'm going to get 15 minutes in tonight. I can't wait to get back to the book. It's, um, it's so well-written, beautifully written, full of stories. Uh, and it's really kind of a memoir. I think she calls it a memoir slash self-help, self-help memoir. I don't know, something like that. But, um, but it really is Carolyn's story of growing up with um, her brother was autistic and what I love about it is it highlights so many times throughout the book where Carolyn's mind tried to help her and then she didn't see that as her mind trying to help her as we don't. And then that became the new rule for how she was going to be. So her brother gets this this diagnosis and she's young and Carolyn decides, okay, I'm going to be the good one. I'm just going to be really easy. My parents have a lot on their plate with my brother. I'm going to be the good girl. And from there, so much kind of just follows, you know, and I, and the way that she writes about it and tells her stories, you see how these innocent little thoughts show up all over the place, but also how life was always trying to wake her up from them. And I don't want to give it away because the book is great. And we talk about it a lot in this conversation, but the little things that were there physically, emotionally, all the stuff that showed up. And, and it's really a story of Carolyn learning to trust her own gut, you know, to look at her own intuition. She, she's always known what's right. We always do, all of us. We know what's right. We know what feels right. And I think that's kind of what our lives are, is this journey of, of getting more familiar with that, letting ourselves be lived, letting ourselves be guided, and noticing when our mind comes in with other opinions that are based in fear or shame or whatever they are. So... Um, it's a great book. I'll put the links to it in the show notes. But whether you read the book or not, this conversation with Carolyn is so good, especially if you consider yourself a good girl or a good boy or a perfectionist or uh, any of any of that good stuff. You're going to see and hear so much in this conversation. So enjoy this conversation with Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for coming on Changeable. Amy, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, I love, uh, I've been part of your summits over the years and I love our conversations and I was so excited to see that you had written this book and um, I was even more excited after I read it and I, I'm going to 
totally honest. Like, and I think you're probably in the same situation. It is, and I think I told you this. Like, it is so hard for me to read a book. Mm. <laughs> I love to read. <laughs> I have no time to read. My time to read would be when I'm in bed at night, and then I'm asleep. <laughs> so, but your book was so good, and I kept, um, I kept looking for like these little windows. I kept looking forward to like on a weekend. I knew I'd have like an hour here or there, and it was just so good. So. It's called You Don't Know Anyone, Free Yourself from the Weight of Expectation. We'll put all the links to it, but I'm just really excited to, to talk about it here together and get people excited about it. Oh, that just warms my heart to hear. Thank you. I have a toddler, so I know what you mean about those, those precious little 20-minute gaps where you're tired and the things you choose to read there do matter. So thank you. Yeah, and it was so... Um, it was so good and it was so entertaining and just so well written and I, I just loved it. So the way I, you know, as I was reading it, I was thinking of so many people that um, are going to benefit from this book. And I'm curious to hear sort of who you think it's for. So, so kind of in my mind, I'm like, oh, but there's so many people who, um, <laughs> you know, haven't listened to themselves in years. Like they've mm-hmm. just done what they think they're supposed to do and they don't even know what they want. And then there's like people who call themselves people pleasers and people who are just, you know, constantly have all these shoulds. And a lot of times they're all the same people, you know, but yeah. Who would you kind of say this book is sort of for? Yes. Yes. Well, to quote the official copy, um, recovering perfectionists, workaholics, people pleasers, anybody who's got those should shackles on pretty heavily. Yeah. might really resonate with this book. Um, for me in particular, I think we write what we most need to hear. So I wrote it for the person who is great at doing what she's supposed to do, checking all the boxes, the hard worker, the one who's responsible and dependable and reliable and all those great things, but has this deeper longing to do what she feels like she's meant to do and to share more of, of herself and not just oh, I'm the dependable one. I'm the, I'm the high achiever. It's like, yeah. wait, I want to be fully human. And that's where I think it connects really well with, with your work and what does it mean to be human and those kind of bigger questions. Yeah, yeah. So how, um, I, and what I love about the book is it's very personal. It's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of like your memoir, but, it, but it's also self-help. It really is helping people see this, you know, it, people pleaser stuff, like in a really deep new way. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about how this sort of started for you, how you kind of came to set aside what you thought and sort of go with what you thought you should be doing. Mm. Yes. Interestingly, the process of creating the book itself sort of mirrors the trajectory of it. It started out as a memoir So all of those personal touches and everything were very much the focus of the book. It evolved into a very personal, personal development book. So along the way, I had to sort of let go of, oh, I thought it was supposed to be this, Mm. but it's turning into this. So there's a fun kind of mirroring there. Um, But the story that, that begins the book, which catalyzed the title, the epiphany, You Don't Owe Anyone, I was in the situation that I I know a lot of people can relate to. An old friend reached out to me on Facebook and I got this series of cryptic messages that 
all they said was, I miss you. I miss you. I really miss you. No, like, no, hi, how are you? <laughs> Just, I miss yeah. you. And knowing that person, this was a long time ago, but I, I kind of heard it as a little bit of a cry for help, a cry for validation. And all of my instincts sort of kicked into gear of, oh, they need something from me. They need me to help. They need me to say it's okay. It's the last significant interaction I had with them was, you know, this was someone who was in a relationship who'd made a pass at me. I was really uncomfortable with it. We sort of never spoke again. And, you know, it was try. I thought, I think I thought, oh, maybe this person is trying to build a bridge. And I felt really conflicted about what to do about that message because part of me, a large part of me was just shouting like, this person might need your help or they might need your support. And then another part of me felt really uncomfortable and just felt like, what is going on here? This is, this is so out of the blue. And I wrestled with it and I wrestled with it. And finally I thought I need to get some outside perspective. So I asked my husband what he thought, which this might be sort of obvious that, okay, someone who made a pass at your now wife years ago, you're not going to be a huge fan you of her call him, honey. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. It was like, I sort of knew the yeah. tone of what I was going to get. And on some level, I, I do think I was a little bit asking for permission of like, can I just not respond to this? Yeah. But what he said in that moment wasn't just, oh, what a, you know, he didn't judge the other person. He didn't judge me for agonizing about it. He just looked me in the eye and said, you don't owe anyone an interaction. And I was like, whoa, stop the bus. <laughs> that, <laughs> say that again. And he said it again. And it was one of those moments that you talk about in your work of a paradigm shift an insight, instead of just saying, do this or don't do that. He peeled back the curtain on a whole way I had of looking at the world. I was operating like I owed everybody something. I owed everybody an interaction. And in that moment, it was just that light bulb of, what if I don't owe this guy anything? And then my path is very clear. My, my knowing, my intuition is just to send good energy to him and just not respond of like, I hope, I hope you get everything you need, but like, I'm not the person to take care of you right now. That's, yeah. not, that's not my role. That's not my job. So that's the, the paradigm shifting moment that opens up the book. And then each of the subsequent chapters is an exploration of what you don't owe everyone. So you don't owe everyone your time and energy. You don't owe anyone an interaction. You don't owe anyone the perfect girl and so forth. Yeah. How do you, um, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, but how, how did it start for you where you had, you kind of got into this idea that you did owe people something? Mm, yeah. Yeah. And there's so many answers to that because it comes at us from all directions. I mean, culture, family, religion, school, you could, you could name so many. The place where I begin it in the book is with my first memory, which is of the day when my younger brother, Willie, was diagnosed with autism. And I remember going to the diagnostic center. I remember seeing our mom come to me and sweep me up into her arms and hold me. And she was crying. And in that moment, I felt something shift in me. And 
you know, little kids, even as a little kid, it's like trying to make meaning of that moment. Like I did not know what was going on, but I felt this sense of, I need to be there for her. I need to step it up in some way. Later, my parents had a conversation about, you know, hey, here's what's going on. They, they did a good job explaining, you know, this is what autism is. It just means Willie's mind works differently than, than yours or mine. And we're going to be okay. He's going to be okay. It's just different. And that's a great explanation as far as it goes for, you know, a five or six-year-old. Yeah. Um, but the one phrase and the wording that I remember was, you know, can you just be a good a good older sister and can you you know can you be good and I was like yeah I can do that okay I have a purpose I have an assignment I have something he's going to be different and I'm going to be good and we're going to be okay yeah and that for me that was the beginning of feeling like I and I readily adopted this this was not like oh this is forced on me right. that was the beginning for me of hooking into I owe the world a certain way of being and that way of being is good. Whatever, however the authority figures define good, that's what I'm going to be. Yeah. I think that's so, um, it's so relatable because every one of us has those moments. Um, and a lot of times it is our earliest memory or our earliest kind of fearful sort of me- like emotional memory, you know? Um, and I love how you talk about it where it's like, your parents didn't say to you, we need you to never cause problems. We need you to be perfect. They just said, hey, just be a good girl. Help be a good big sister, you know? And our minds, little kid mind (laughs) says, all right, I got a job to do. And it just creates an identity for us in an instant. And of course, when we're that age, we don't know that just happened. (laughs) It just looks like, here we go. This is me now, you know? And so I love that. And then, and I just find it so helpful for adults to look back to be able to just reflect back on those moments. Not There's nothing we need to fix or undo about them, but just to recognize that that happened because every adult I've talked with can see that, you know, and they can sort of see, oh, well, that makes a lot of things make sense. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. As I was writing something that came through for me, you know, the first several drafts, I I had to just get out all of the, the anger or the grief or the the despair, everything. And the more I kept writing, the more I kept noticing, wow, I was more powerful than I thought I was. You know, like even as a little kid, yeah, to make that kind of meaning, as you said, not very consciously, but yeah, you know, wow, that little kid just really took that and ran with it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, something scary or threatening or uncertain happened. And so our mind is just all about giving us something predictable mm-hmm. and it clings to those identities, you know, and then, and then, yeah, we just filter everything through those. So, um, so yeah, that's great. And your story, you, you can kind of see what, the first time you remember anyway, that that really sort of took hold. And then I love how in your book, you know, you just, it's like with that, with those glasses on, here's how my early relationships looked. Here's how college mm-hmm. was. Here's how my first jobs were. Like, because, yes. yeah, because you, you have seeing everything through that lens. Yes, yes, exactly. And the thing I wanted most for the book, for the people who are reading it, I wanted them to be able to see, oh, I'm, I have a lens on, yeah. like I'm wearing a lens and have those little moments where, 
kind of like hearing what my husband said kind of flipped up the glasses for me. And it was like, oh, this is just one pair of lenses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's briefly talk about a couple others just because people probably haven't read the book yet when they're listening to this. Um, So another one is is your um, religion as a Mm -hmm. child. So Mm -hmm. yeah, say a little bit about that. Yeah, I was fortunate or unfortunate, depending on, you know, pick your, choose your own adventure, which one was I, um, enough to grow up in a church that was very, very, very strict in terms of these are the practices you follow. This is the way to be God's chosen people. You must check all of these boxes and you're going to be okay. Um, and for me, the interesting thing about that, even as I fully operated within that system, I've been telling people, you know, I was in a cult and I was good at it. <laughs> like I was, I was good at checking those boxes. And I was the little kid who was, you know, maybe seven or eight years old and saying, I want to fast all day like the grownups and I'm going to lie in bed and be miserable and because that's what they're doing and I'm going to do it too. Yeah. Um, but the, the interesting thing for me looking back is I also had this younger brother, Willie, who I loved so much and he couldn't jump through all of those hoops right? It's like he, he didn't have the capacity. His mind worked differently. And so it was always this interesting tension of, on one hand, I tried very hard to live up to everything that I was told, this is, this is just how you need to be to be holy and to be good. And then there was also this part of me that I remember lying awake in bed at night and thinking, I know there has to be a heaven And it's going to be a place where I can have a conversation with Willie. Like that was my only criteria for what I believed heaven would be. And that wasn't in any of the the doctrines or the rules or whatever. It was just something I felt and I felt very deeply was true. That Oh, there has to be a place where we can understand each other. And I'm really grateful that that I had that relationship because... I think it kept this, this seed of doubt alive in my heart. And I was like, well, okay, this is the only way for everybody, but yeah. <laughs> my brother can't go this way. And I would never like accept something that he couldn't come with me, like he couldn't be a part of. Um, and so it was this weird double bind. But I th- honestly, I think that's part of what helped me to come out of it was having had the experience of loving somebody who couldn't fit into those boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how um, it's interesting to see how you could be so good at being in the cult. <laughs> that yeah. was your thing, right? You're like, hey, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just give me mm-hmm. the rule and I'll follow it, you know, and I'll be the best at it. And, um, and I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can if we, you know, it's like the uncertainty is uncomfortable, but tell me what to do and I'm all for it. And I love how, like you said, I think this is so true in life that that when we're sort of blinded by something or we're just sort of in tunnel vision around something, we're mm. always getting we're always getting little hints that there's more. Yes. Usually in our suffering, right? So when we suffer and feel horrible, that's a hint that hey, you're not seeing the whole picture here. But but in this case too, like wait a minute. If all these things get you to be the chosen one, what about mm-hmm. Willie? <laughs> and yeah. even as a kid, you might not have been able to articulate that, but you sensed it. And yeah, like it just, the bigger picture in that 
that just comes through so much. Like, wow, life is always showing us when we're seeing things in a limited way. We might not always recognize it that way, but how cool to see that that seems to be always happening. Yes. I really like how you said that. Yeah. And that happens throughout the book. There's another scene where I am being picked up early from school so that I don't march in the Halloween parade because Halloween in our church was considered sinful. It's witchcraft. It's the devil's holiday, all that. Um, And my mom picks me up. And I just remember the conversation we had where I was trying to tell her, like, I don't see anything wrong with it, though. Like, it's just like dress up and we play dress up and like, there's nothing wrong with dress up. And she was explaining to me of like, well, you know, here's what the church believes and all this. And I, I heard her and I understood her. And of course, you know, she was, she was the center of my world. And so I, I accepted what she told me, but there was another part of me that was just, like you said, was having that disconnect or that suffering of, but, but wait, we did this last year and it was okay. And I was asking her, you know, what about my classmates? Like, are they going to be in trouble with God because they're doing it? And she was like, no, 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 honey, it doesn't work that way. And I was kind of like, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, age six or seven or so. So, right. you know, hard to wrap your mind around advanced theological concepts. But yeah, I can look back on moments like that. And like you said, like, oh, there was... There were hints, even though I was following all the rules, I was, there were moments where I was questioning them too. Yeah. So that's what I was sort of wondering, um, how that went for you. Like, does it feel like the, you know, you were aware of those hints even at a really early age, but they, they get more pronounced as you get older and start to think about other things. Um, yeah. How does that, how does that feel like it went? That's kind of a weird question, but (laughs) do you have, you know, like these, a few major aha moments? Does it feel like gradually from the time you were little until recently and still, I assume you just are kind of gradually seeing more and more like how, yeah, how would you describe that? Mm, That's such a good question. And it reminds me of, I was just listening to your last podcast and talking about the habits of the mind and this is just what minds do. And in some ways it's easier to see those those moments of questioning earlier on because my mind hadn't quite formed into all those, those habits yet. Like it wasn't used to thinking, Oh, Halloween is bad and evil. So I interrupted that and I was like, wait a second, that doesn't actually sound right to me. But then the more you hear something, the more you practice it, the more it becomes your normal. I do think it's, it's a little bit harder. At least it was for me to question that or to see that, Oh, this is just a pair of glasses that you have on over your face. But as you said, we're, we're lucky in that um, when we start suffering, we have great motivation to look at, okay, what's really going on here? Another example I give in the book is when I was in a car accident in high school and it was a, you know, significant, the car was totaled, all of that. And I made the decision that I wanted to go right to school, like right straight to school because I didn't want to miss any of my classes. And I do remember having that little awareness, like somebody kind of nudging at my shoulder of this isn't right. Something about this isn't right. Yeah. You know, the fact that you're not, you're not honoring this, this traumatic experience and you're just wanting to rush right back in. Um, 
but you always have the option to heed or not heed those nudges. And in that moment, I did not heed it. I was like, no, I've, I've already messed up by getting into this accident. I can't mess up more yeah. by not going to school. Um, so yeah, I think the short answer is <laughs> I was lucky enough that the, the suffering and the struggle got bad enough that it forced me to pay attention. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and you talk about, um, in your teen years, I think cutting a little bit, mm-hmm, you talk about mm-hmm. getting shingles yes. as a young person, which really should be happening and how you, they'd flare up to kind of show you. And I just think, uh, probably for most of your readers, like they have a sense that this is happening for us already. So it's so beautiful Mm -hmm. to just see all these little reminders that you're right. Sometimes in the moment you see it, sometimes you see it, but but it just is so vague and out in the periphery and it doesn't feel like you're really going to do anything about it, like when you went to school anyway, Mm -hmm. but you sense Mm -hmm. something was off. And then other times it's like, bam, right in our face. Like when your husband says, you don't know him in interaction, you know, and it's yeah. just, it's so cool to see the different ways. Yeah. That these little hunches and insights show up for us. So yeah. much. Yes. And I mean, for me, at least the, the body is usually a very effective messenger for when you are off track on all the other levels. Yeah. And I mean, Martha Beck, one of my favorite coaches talks about this idea of if you are someone who's a high somatizer, like if you tend to express your emotions through your body, it's very inconvenient because you do things like get shingles when you're 22, when something's off about your life. But it's very helpful in the sense that you have a really strong stream of data coming to you like, oh, your body will tell you if things are not going right in your mind or in the rest of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how is it now? I'm curious, like not to, I don't want to jump ahead to the end too much, but I am sure. just sort of curious, like now, um, you know, now you've been seeing this, you, you've, you've been writing about it for quite a few years. You coach people through this kind of stuff. Um, do a lot of these tendencies still show up? They just look different. Do some of them not show up? Like, how does that go? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is such a tricky one for a recovering perfectionist because we're so about the growth as a linear model, like, oh, yeah, I'm just all up from here, you know, and I had one (laughs) struggle, but now that's behind me and it's all fine. And what helps, what helps for me is to think of, okay, for each person, I like to think of the idea that there are several, maybe a small handful of issues or challenges that they're going to meet again and again in their lifetime, you're just going to meet it on another level. So meeting the, I have to work hard in order to be worthy, or I have to people please in order to be loved. Like for me, at least I've met those again and again, but at a different level of awareness or with a different consciousness where I recognize them more quickly Um, I mean, I'll just say even recently preparing for the book launch and doing, doing everything else involved in parenting and life. I mean, I had a good friend reach out to me and basically say like, I'm really concerned about you, that you're, you know, you're pushing too hard. You're, you're really tired. And 
I was able to hear that. And of course, the, the judging part of my brain kicked in of like, oh, you should have seen this coming. You should have prevented it sooner and you should blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But just noticing, oh, someone who loves me is expressing concern and there's something I get to take a look at here. So I don't think it's that you never have those old tapes play in your mind or you never have my mind had a lot of practice judging me. And I'm sure people can relate to that. Like you've had years of practice judging yourself and being very mean to yourself. But if you notice it sooner and you notice, okay, that's one option. I can hook into that. I can go down that road. There are other options. I can go over here. I can say, oh, I noticed it sooner this time. All right. Okay. That opens up some other possibilities. And like you were saying, you can also notice this is just what my mind was trained to do from a very early age. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me or that I can't change. It just means I had a lot of practice doing life this way. Yeah. Um, another tiny example I give in the book, which felt big for me. I left a pot of rice cooking on the stove for too long. And I was in the, in the instant that I realized, oh, it's probably burned. I was mad at myself. I was just like, oh, I always do this. Like I'm such... I'm such a high functioning person in many ways, but I leave things cooking and forget about them all the time. And I was just so annoyed with myself. Like, why can't I get this together? And then what I heard myself say out loud was, I forgive myself for burning the rice. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? And it was powerful because it was a neural, a new neural pathway that I practiced and I'd worked on of like, okay, I can offer myself kindness in this moment where I perceive myself as having made a mistake. Like, I forgive myself. And I heard myself say it and I was like, oh, I have actually changed something. I have actually changed something in my brain because that is that did not used to be my default response. Yeah, that's awesome. I have to imagine it. Um, it's how good for you to live with your husband who sounds like he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have this stuff um like he has his own stuff i'm sure you know but and i just think that's so helpful like i'm just picking out that because i read about him a little in the book but for many of us you know just just the idea of like just being around other people who see life in such a different way and yes. saying like wow we're in this same situation right in this moment together and look at the different reactions there's no way mine, which is all tense and tight and worried at times, right? Can mm -hmm. be necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, it's the one my mind's playing out, but there's no way this is the truth of things when this guy's over here, cool as cucumber. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And when my closest friends read the book, they sort of said, you know, you really did give your husband, Jonathan, like a very, um, I don't know what the word is, not quite idealized, but like, he's kind of the the sage in this book of he's the yeah. one who's pretty calm when you're sort of freaking out. And I, I was able to say, you know, yes, because like you said, that, that has been such a rich source of learning for me, like yeah. seeing our personalities are so different and our ways of being are so different. And that's been really helpful for both of us. Maybe the next book is, okay, this is, an area where he was really challenged and I was able to show up. But for this one, yeah. especially in a personal development book, it sometimes helps to just have, you know, okay, this is sort of one side of this character and this is how they show up rather than 
if you had read the full memoir, there's a lot more nuance and everything too. Yeah. Because as you said, he's got his own stuff for sure. Um, But for the purposes of this book, he was sort of the character that's like, I will show you another way of looking at this situation. Yeah. Well, and even with, um, even with like your mom in the book who sees things in a very different way than you do when you talk about some, some conversations where like you just have a, in, you know, a a really different worldview, um, whether it's, whether our worldview feels good, feels open and loving or judgmental or however it feels to be with someone else with a different worldview Mm-hmm. Again, taking all the judgment, good, bad, like it, don't like it out of it. It's like, oh, like it just does something for us, I think, to see, wow. Like yeah. the scene in your book, you know, when you're driving in the rain and your mom's talking to you about gay marriage and like, I'm sorry, I have a totally different opinion mm-hmm. on it than you do. You just see the innocence of two people who just live in the reality they live in. And it's mm-hmm. so, so amazing to see that. Like it's hard when our mind gets involved because we'll come in with our opinions and all the story behind it. But I think it is, you know, yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying it's easy in real life and it's not easy when it's our parents, we get all kinds of thinking involved, but just, just the basic fact that every one of us lives in our own separate reality and our reality is totally real to us. Like Willie, he lives in a completely different reality in his head, you know, that we'll never understand fully. And that just does something. It's like, I think it shows us like, okay, well, my reality is not reality. It's just mine. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that about that scene in particular, because that was, that was very much the goal and the, the hope I had that people would read that and just see, oh, even though this is this, this hot button political and theological issue that they're debating, it's, there is this sort of fundamental innocence about where both of us are coming from. And I very much didn't want it to be like, oh, one person is saying things that are totally wrong and should be demonized for them. And one person is like on the side of good. I wanted it to be like, here are two people fumbling through their own perceptions. As you said, having very different realities and trying to have a conversation about their very different realities and really trying to love each other in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, like, as you said, is not an easy task. It no. is not easy by any stretch, but I'm glad that came through for that scene. Yeah, it did. And it's, you know, I think that's just the only way it ever is. Even mm-hmm. if someone feels is kind of malicious in how they're coming at something, they're only seeing things the way they can see them in that moment, you know, unless we believe that humans are born evil and that, you know, this is our nature, which I sure don't. Like, it's like, we just see through the thinking that shows up, you know? Exactly. And I'm, I definitely say that in that scene of, you know, okay, before I had certain experiences, before I went away to college, before I, you know, life led me in different paths than it did my mom. I saw things the way she did because that's how, that's the water I was swimming in, you know? And so I could see, okay, my past self would have would have believed all of that, you know? And so to be able to look back at your past self without judgment is a huge step in not, in not judging the people around you because chances are, it's like, there's a part of you responding to, it's not just, Oh, I can't believe they believe that. It's like, I can't believe I used to believe that too. Yeah. 
And it's a, it's a huge step in not taking yourself so seriously. Because if we used to believe something completely different, mm-hmm. then let's not get too precious about what we believe now. <laughs> because who the heck knows what that's going to look like 10 years from now. You know, it's always changing. Yes. Well said. Yeah. So what do you, what's kind of, I'm imagining a person listening who's in that place where they, they're so out of touch with what they want. They -hmm. don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. They say, you know, I don't know. I've just been doing what I think I'm supposed to do my whole life. I don't even know what I want. What's like a, yeah, what's like a first little step or pointer for them? Oh, yes. I like getting to put on my coach hat. So, I mean, the first thing I would say is just on a really basic level. If I'm talking to someone on the phone and I know we only have, you know, 20 minutes, a shortcut often that I can use to help get to what, what do they want? Okay. You feel like you don't have any access to that and I get it. Tell me all about what you don't want. Usually people have a pretty easy time telling me well, I don't know what I do want, but I hate this and I hate that. And this drives me crazy. And Okay, fine. Start with the pain points. Fine. And then even just playing the game of, okay, well, that's, that's the worst you can imagine. Now, what's the best you can imagine? Flip it around. Tell me about the opposite of that. What would it look like if you don't want to feel exhausted all the time? Well, what's the opposite of exhausted for you? What does that look like? And starting to, to, just practice thinking in a different way because, you know, as, as you talk about so eloquently, your minds are used to looking for danger, trauma, trouble. Like that's, that was a survival strategy. That's what's brought us here. But can you actually practice? Okay. Tell me what you do want. And then at least for me, especially, it's been really important to, step away from all of the outside voices. So the very first coaching invitation in the book is to do nothing for 15 minutes a day. And I offer that as usually the hardest. I'm like, well, I'll put the hardest thing first, you guys, so that everything else will be easier from here. Because, I mean, there's a great, I think it's a Pascal quote, something like all of man's suffering comes from his inability to sit in a room alone and just like be with, witness the thoughts, be with yourself not trying to fix or change anything. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's master level. If you really want to know what's going on with you, turn down the volume on all the external stuff, which I know sounds simple, but it's not always simple to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and everything you said, I think, speaks to that bigger, um, bigger fact that like we, when we ask, we, our mind won't let us see. Our mind just doesn't maybe know, or it won't even let you see. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what mm-hmm. I really want, you know? But then, like you said, once you get someone talking, we do know. We just, we yes. maybe can't verbalize it, you know, but we do know it's in there. And it's not, it's not that deeply buried usually as much as it feels like it is. That is such a great point. And another thing I, I definitely see come up with people who are quick thinkers, who are, you know, very intelligent that they like to hide behind I don't know versus I do know but I'm scared to do anything about it or I'm scared to listen to it those are different things 
Yeah. So I don't know. I agree with you. I always tend to question that premise of like, mm, I don't, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's yeah. something else going on here. Yeah, definitely. So, um, the last thing I want to kind of touch on is, is it comes at the end of the book, but you talk about kind of when, um, how hard it can be sometimes when we sort of evolve. It's not a good way to say it, but like we change and the people we love aren't okay with it. They don't change yeah. in the same way or they, you know, it's, it's hard for them. And it is hard, admittedly. Like it's, it's hard. It feels threatening to our mind anyway, to our ego when people around us are changing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of people, I'm, I'm guessing listening who have been in that situation where they've kind of just see life in a different way. Maybe they don't believe the things they were raised to believe, but their parents still do that kind of dynamic. Like how help us? <laughs> like, how, <laughs> What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because I think it's yeah. especially tough sometimes when it's your parents. And I, I can speak mm-hmm. from experience on this. Like I, I want to dig my heels in and say, I want my parents to be wiser than me. Like I want to be oh, able to yes. look to you yes. and you be the leader. And kind of, I, I felt like I was the leader as a kid a lot. So that's just my little thing. But even now it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to teach you. I want you to come along. I want you to pass me up in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, you know, and be able to have these conversations. And like, you, you know, I love how you write about it. Like sometimes that's just not going to happen. It just yeah. isn't possible. Yeah. So yeah. How have you kind of come to terms with some of that? I like what you said. Help us. <laughs> Help us, please. <laughs> yes, this is something I've wrestled with. My clients wrestle with this regularly, be it a parent or a friend or a partner or whoever it is that they want to, as you said, be with them where they are in this awareness, be at this stage of the journey or whatever, however you want to, want to put it. Um, with the parents specifically, I remember, this isn't in the book, but I remember having a a paradigm shift moment when I heard a counselor talking about like, were our parents teachers? Like that, what if that's the role of being a child is to be the teacher? And I was like, wait, that is not how I've been thinking about it at (laughs) all. But yes, I felt that same desire of, no, I want to follow you. I want to be the follower. I don't want to have to be the leader here. I don't want to have to be the trailblazer. But sometimes that's the way of it. That's how it shakes down. Um, and the couple things that come up around, okay, if you're in that position, what, what's helpful? The first thing I would say is allowing yourself and allowing the other person to have their journey. Like they're having their own experience and their own path. And it is not my job to take that away or rush them through it or fast forward them. Like that's, that's not my role, nor would that be good if it was my role. Um, so in just the same way, sometimes we dig our heels in, it's like, I want them to let me have changed. Like, let me have my experience. It's like, well, first of all, you get to have it no matter what, like they can't actually take that away from you. Right. Um, but then second of all, it's like, are you letting them have their experience? Yeah. Are you letting them be where they are? Like you're fighting for this for yourself, but are you giving them that space and not trying to change them? Um, yeah. So that's definitely a projection moment that you can kind of look in the mirror and, okay, okay. If I can just give them space to be where they are, 
I may find more space opens up for me as well. It's funny how that, how that happens. Um, but the other thing I do talk about is, you know, I give the example of people kind of freaking out when I change, but then I also give an example of a friend of close friend of mine who was changing in really positive ways, but it shook me up a little bit. And I was on the other side of being like, what if she changes so much that we're not close anymore? And what if, you know, my brain did all those scary things too. And in that context, what I decided to do was to be vulnerable with her and to share some of those fears, not with the intent of, you know, asking her to change back or anything like that. It was just to be loving toward myself and her and be like, look, I want you to know that I fully support you and your path. And it's it's making my lizard brain do all these freaked out things would have nothing to do with you. Like yeah. keeping it depersonalizing it of this is just what brains do when they're scared. And would you be open to telling me how you actually feel about being about our relationship? So I don't keep spinning in this, in this made up world about how, like I'm catastrophizing here and can you help me? And that was a very vulnerable moment, but I'm so glad I did that because I was able to actually get information from the person themselves of like, no, I mean, of course I'm changing, but I want you in my life. I want our friendship in my life. And I've never worried about that again. Like since that, since that moment, because I was kind to myself in my fear, I let, I let myself receive some reassurance in that moment rather than just putting on the judgment of, well, you should just be happy for her. You shouldn't feel that way. This shouldn't be happening. It's like, no, I let her see that I was scared and I was a little freaked out. Um, But I also didn't make it her job to like fix it or change it. It was like, I'm just going to share this in the context of, I want you to know what's real for me right now. Um, Because there were, there were other people that were judging her for her experience. And I was like, I want you to know that I'm not doing that. I'm just scared. (laughs) That's, that's what's going on for me. I'm, I am scared. Um, and there is a vulnerability and trust level that you need to have to have those kind of conversations. Of course, that's not going to apply to everybody. Um, but if you're in the shoes of I'm scared, I'm losing somebody or they're changing, that can be helpful. If you're the one getting the pushback for changing, um, this is from Martha Beck, but she, she offers this idea that, okay, if people are in lizard mode around you and they're really scared, the tendency is to meet them with defense and meet them with like, no, it's not that way. And, and get off my back. And then yeah. it's just two people fighting, but being able to just send them reassurance and love and just be like, I know I, I hear you and I'm okay. I hear you and all is well. Like if you can stay grounded in that space of like, there's not a problem here and I'm not going to take on your problem, that can go a long way too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. And I think from the people pleaser or wanting approval kind of perspective too, um, I know I've found myself kind of wanting to pretend that I haven't changed around, Mm. you know, like, no, I'm, I'm still me. I still complain about everything in life and worry all the time, even though in my mind, I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> but I want to fit in, you know, you know, so like that, there's something, something you said kind of early on. It's just so big. I think too, around seeing when we, if we're thinking, oh, they don't accept my change or why aren't they changing with me? Really? It's like, 
just this invitation to look at ourselves and be like, mm-hmm. but do I accept my change? Like, like, yeah. can I just be here and who I am and how I am? And like you said, let them be exactly how and where they are. Nothing else is needed. Now, it doesn't mean our mind won't freak out and tell us there is, you know, but nothing else is needed but that. So that's just so, yeah, so big to see. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I love this conversation. I love your book. I think so many people who, um, yeah, I just kind of having that sense that, and even like you said, it's such a great little um a great little sign for us. If, if you can say a million things that you hate about your life, <laughs> that th- ways that things are not the way you want them to be, then you're doing a bunch of stuff that you think you should be doing that you don't need yes. to be doing. So, I mean, all of these are just little things that people are going to resonate with. And it's just so big to start that process of like, Hey, like, what do I want? What really feels right to me here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's my hope if you, if you're listening to this and you recognize yourself in this, that I wrote this book as on one hand, there are these invitations to, oh, you might want to try this or you might want to explore that, but not exactly as an invitation to like, you have to change. It's more like, let's just take a look at things as they are. Let's just hold up a mirror and know that you're not alone with any of this, that this is the human experience. that's part of why I wanted it to be so personal. Cause like, that's the kind of stuff that helps me. It helps me when a teacher like you says, I still want to pretend that I haven't changed. It's like, Oh, you too. Okay, great. It's not just me. So it's a big yeah. relief. Yeah. Awesome. Well, your book's definitely going to do that for people. So thank you so much for sharing and it's great to talk with you. Yeah. You're so welcome. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to Changeful. If you enjoy this podcast, please let me know by subscribing or maybe even considering leaving a review. iTunes reviews are so valuable in helping other people who need change to find their way here. I'll talk to you next week.